life can bring us storms. Those moments where we wander, wonder, doubt. The journey doesn't stop, but the progress does. It can be lonely, painful. Sometimes we try to stare it down, as if we could somehow will it to go away. Or we think we can go toe-to-toe and come out the other side, unscathed. We often forget just how small we are. The truth is, storms are inevitable. But when they appear, we have a protector. A savior who knows a thing or two about calming storms. A God who is a stronghold in times of trouble. In our weakness, He is strong. In our fear, He is courage. In our desperation, He is peace. Yes, storms are inevitable. But our God is invincible. Yes, he is. Our God is invincible. Great to see you. Purpose Church, so good to be together. Hey, just before we dig into our study, just one uh, quick request before we get into our study today. If you didn't get a chance to catch either one of our 150th Building for Generation uh, campaign desserts that we had back in September and October, if you didn't get a chance to catch one of those and uh, you didn't get a chance to catch last Sunday's sermon, I really, really want to urge you uh, to go to PurposeChurch.com slash campaign and and go to that. I just really encourage you, boy, maybe even after this message is over, go right there and there'll be all kinds of ways to tell you about our Building for Generations campaign. Let me just tell you, it's worth it to go there just for the 90-second video. This is my new favorite video The acting is unbelievable. I mean, I'm talking Oscar-worthy, this 90-second video uh, clip. So it's worth going there just for the 90-second clip. But in addition to that, you've got my sermon from last Sunday. Uh, You've got a taped uh, panel discussion about the specifics of the work we're doing for our renovation project, uh, for our Building for Generations campaign. Um, uh, 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 testimonials uh, uh, it's kind of uh, it's all together or it's a la carte so you can like pick hey I've got 90 seconds to watch the video or maybe I've got 5 minutes to watch this or I've got the whole 35 minutes uh, to watch my sermon but really I would just ask you to go there and uh, because then we'll all be together on the same page uh, as a church uh, marching into our future, it kind of casts our vision and lets uh, all of us know which way we're going and so we're all on the same page. So really encourage you as soon as this message is over sometime this week, could you go to purposechurch.com slash campaign and uh, 
and uh, watch uh, all the things and, and many of the things that are available there. Now, today we continue our In the Wilderness series that we've been doing uh, through the fall. Today we talk about temptation in the wilderness. And, you know, we've talked about through this series where we're more vulnerable to certain things when we're in the wilderness. We've talked about complaining, uh, comparisons. We're more vulnerable to feeling even like we're being cursed sometimes. Um, we talked about a couple weeks ago fear. Uh, we were more vulnerable to fear in the wilderness. And now today, another thing we're more vulnerable to when we're in the wilderness is temptation. Now here's uh, today's story from the wilderness. Moses has climbed up Mount Sinai in order to receive guidance from God. But the Israelites lose patience while he's, he's there, waiting for him to come back, even though it's only been uh, about a month. And so we pick up the story now in Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long, it had only been a month, but it was so long, and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, can you imagine this fellow Moses, the one that led him out of Egypt, that's led him through the one miracle after another. They've probably seen, I don't know, about 20 miracles uh, from Moses so far. Uh, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods. So it's made a shape of a calf, gods, plural, remember that. Uh, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Are you kidding me? This thing they just made with their own hands, that's what brought you out of Egypt, not God with uh, the 10 plagues or the crossing of the Red Sea. No, this thing they had just made with their own hands. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. He calls this calf the Lord. So the next day, the people rose up early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Basically, uh, after they worshipped this golden calf, they had an orgy. Um, it was made in the image of a cow uh, because the Egyptians, where they had just come from, were totally into worshipping cows. The Egyptians, greatest power uh, known on earth until this time, totally into worshipping cows. Uh, for example, they worship Hathor, uh, who was represented by the head of a cow. They worshiped Isis, who was the queen of the gods who had horns on her head like a cow. Then there was Menwer, who was the sacred bull of Ra, whose uh, skin was covered with gold. But the ultimate in bull worship, <laughs> all right, in the ultimate in bull worship was the Apis bull, A-P-I-S. Uh, they, they actually had a, a live one that lived in luxury in the main Egyptian temple. Uh, only the highest people of the society were allowed to ever view this bull, and they had to look at him from special windows. 
his death was as big a deal as the death of a pharaoh. And he was mummified. This, this cow, this bull, was mummified just like one of the pharaohs after he died. Uh, you could take the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was really hard to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Uh, the 10 plagues of Egypt, you know, were not random. Uh, they were done to show God's uh, invincible power over each of the Egyptian gods. Uh, it was done to show, demonstrate that he was more powerful than each one of the gods of the, uh, of the Egyptians and each one of the plagues. We did a series on this a few years ago where I went through each of the plagues and showed what power of the Egyptians God was dominant over. Uh, that's why the fifth of the 10 plagues was a plague on cows where every cow in Egypt died. A sin is disobedience, as we're going to see today. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7, Paul talks about this incident um, in the life of the nation of Israel. Now, these things occurred as examples. They, they, they happened as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. Now, today, idolatry can take many different forms. It's anything we, we put ahead of God, anything we love more than God. As some of there were, some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in revelry. And then skipping down to verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So uh, like the Israelites were living in the wilderness in between uh, baptism for us, and that was symbolic of them going through the Red Sea, was symbolic of us being baptized when we follow Christ. So in between the Red Sea and the Promised Land, the Israelites were living between the Red Sea and the Promised Land in the same way we're living in between uh, committing our lives to Christ and being baptized and uh, going to heaven. In that in-between time, that's called the wilderness. And when things get difficult, we try to return to the Egypt of our sin. And so by analyzing, and paul that's what Paul's talking about here, by analyzing how the Israelites fell into sin, we can see the pattern of sin in our own lives and we can learn how to avoid it. Uh, for example, we fall into sin when we do what God tells us not to do. The Israelites knew what not to do. God had already given them the Ten Commandments, uh, which the first two are in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have, here's the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And here comes the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, uh, beneath or in the waters uh, below you shall not bow down to them or worship them. Uh, the first commandment told them not to have any other gods. Uh, the first commandment was basically to worship the right God. And the second commandment told them not to make any idols, including a representation of the one true God. So the first commandment was worship the right God. The second was don't worship the right God in the wrong way. And this is how Aaron rationalized what he was doing. You'll notice he didn't call the golden calf Apis or Isis. He called it, uh, here it is, he's the Lord. And so it was worshiping 
the true God, the Lord, but in the wrong way, making an idol, a golden calf of him. And the Israelites knew that this was wrong because Moses had already climbed up Mount Sinai, had received the Ten Commandments. He came down from Mount Sinai. He gave it to them before he went back up the mountain. That's when we are in the story right now. He goes back up the mountain to receive instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And we're going to talk about that uh, next Sunday. Exodus 24, verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, this is after he comes down the first time from Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments. They responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And then verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Uh, the Israelites also broke the first commandment when they said in verse 1, come make us gods, that is uh, in the plural, uh, gods, multiple gods, in the plural. They, so they were rejecting having just one God, what we call monotheism. Mono meaning one, theism meaning God. They were rejecting having just one God when they said to Aaron, uh, make us one God, but let's not stop there. Let's make ourselves a bunch of gods. If one God is good, a bunch of them, two must be better, and, a, and more than two must be even better yet. Now, why did the Israelites worship a cow? We said it just a few minutes ago. Because they said they were going to follow God, but they never stopped following their previous idols that they worshiped in Egypt. Okay, and this is a temptation for us. We say, God, I'll follow you, but I also will continue to follow the other idols in my life, things that I love uh, as much as, as you, maybe even more than you. So yes, I'll follow God, but I'll continue to follow the idols that I worshiped before I committed my life to Christ. Acts 7, verse 39, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turn back to Egypt. In their hearts, they turn back to Egypt. We have idols in our lives, things that we worship more than God, and we're tempted to turn our hearts back to Egypt. Now, you say, uh, Pastor Glenn, you know, what is an idol today? It, it, it's not much of a temptation to bow down to a golden calf, I know. But here's a good diagnostic tool that I use in my own life to figure out what is an idol in my own life. What do you worry about losing? What do you worry most about losing? And so when I find myself worrying about, well, what if this happens that I'll lose this? Or what if this happens that I'll lose that? Those are the things that I think about and I worry about losing. You know, do I worry about losing all my money in, in a stock crash? Um, do, I, do I worry about losing my reputation? Do I worry about um, losing uh, my, um, my success? Do, do I worry uh, about um, uh, losing a, a certain relationship? And so as I think through it, what are the things that you spend your, your time worrying about losing? That's, that's a possible candidate to be an idol that is competing with God for our affections. Um, you know, Jesus said, don't worry about the people that can take your life, for example. Do you worry about losing your health? Um, I do. That's something I worry about, losing my health. 
And Jesus said, don't, don't worry so much about that. Worry about not getting to heaven. He said, worry about uh, fear the one not that can take your physical life, but fear the one that can take your eternal soul. And so ultimately, we should worry about eternal things, Jesus said, more than we do temporary things that are in danger of becoming an idol to us. That's why the last six words of John's epistle, 1 John 5, 21, last six words, the, the final word he said before he signed off in that, uh, in that letter that he wrote, dear children, keep yourselves from idols because they're a danger for us today just they, like they were for the nation of Israel uh, 3,500 years ago, 3,400 years ago. Uh, sin is also distrust. Uh, sin is, 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 is distrust. Uh, we fall into sin when we do not trust God to know what he's doing. We don't trust God to know that what he's doing for us is best. Uh, chapter 32, verse 1. Let's go back to it. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, God doesn't know what he's up to. It's taken so long. Their sin was their impatience with God and their unwillingness to trust his timing. Boy, that's something I struggle with. Do you struggle with that, with God's timing? Do you have something in your life and you can't understand God's timing with that particular thing? All they knew is that they were right where God wanted them to be, at least for that moment. And they just needed to trust him that when it was time for them to move on, God would show them the way. And yet they became impatient. They thought God doesn't know what he's doing with the timetable of our lives. They had every reason to trust God. I mean, he had taken them out of Egypt. He had provided for them in the wilderness. He had given them his law. All they had to do if they ever began to worry about, you know, where was God? Where was Moses? Just, they just had to look up at Mount Sinai. And it was surrounded by the glory of God, the smoke and the, and the thunder and the lightning. They could see his glory on the mountain. God wasn't absent from their lives. He was right there with them in their situation. He was right there. They didn't have to say, what's taken so long? Moses. What's taking so long? God. And the same thing for us. He's there. Just watch for him. Just look for him in your life. Just watch for little signs. He's there. And even though it seems like he's taken a long time to act in a certain situation in your life, just look, look for his fingerprints. Look for little God sightings uh, that you, where, where you can see, the, he'll let you have a glimpse every once in a while. I'm there, I'm in your life situation. Maybe the whole reason you're watching today or listening today is to hear, to hear God. He invited you here to, to just say the, this to you, trust my timing. Maybe the whole reason God ordained appointment for you just to hear those three words from God, trust my timing. You know, the irony for Israel is that everything was going perfectly according to God's plan. He had, Moses had given them the law. He was up on the mountain getting instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Everything was, was working perfectly to go to the promised land. Now, as we looked at, you know, a couple of Sundays ago, they, they got fearful when that time came. And so they ended up having to wait 40 years because of their disobedience. But as far as God was concerned, the timetable was perfect. 
Maybe things are working out perfectly for us too. He, he's, he, he, trust him for his timing. Now Moses would be gone for 40 days, uh, which was the biblical time of testing. You see that all the time. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, uh, other times of testing, 40 days. And we fall into sin when we fail to trust that God knows what he's doing and we try to work things out on our own. When we try to set the agenda for God and when we try to force the timetable, we're actually trying to take control of our lives away from God. You know, let me just tell you that uh, we've had fun as a church being in this wilderness time when we're in the tents, under the tents, in the gym. It's actually been kind of an enjoyable time, but I want to confess to you as your pastor, I get restless sometimes that like, Lord, when do we know that we're going to get back into the worship center once again? And and I tell you, every week, maybe sometimes every day, something comes up that could delay us getting back into the worship center. And so it's just kind of a day by day, week by week kind of thing. And I get anxious sometimes. I'm like, I want to know the date we're going back into the worship center. I want, I want to know that date so we can plan, so, so we can get organized around it. And I was wrestling with that right about the time I see this quote by Philip Ryken. He says, we get impatient for him, God, to lead us out of the wilderness. But sometimes for our own benefit, God doesn't want to bring us out of the wilderness, not yet anyway. Maybe God's holding us here for, for his perfect timing, and then we'll be back into our worship center once again. And if the wilderness is where God wants us right now, that's where we need to stay, trusting in his goodness and waiting for his timing. Then the next thing we see in this passage is that sin is distortion. We fall into sin when we do things our way rather than God's way. Israel wanted to worship in their own style, with their own priest, their own altar, their own sacrifices, their own God, and their own do-it-yourself salvation. This is how they were going to get saved. This golden calf was their make it up on your own, do it, do it your own salvation. Rather than worship God the way that, that he wanted us, that pleased him the way he pleased, they did it in the way that they pleased. And that's the danger to tell God, here are, the, or here are my terms as to how I will approach you rather than submitting myself to the way that God says that we're to worship him, how God says we are to uh, come to him. R.C. Sproul says, uh, the cow gave no law and demanded no obedience. It had no wrath or justice or holiness to be feared. It was deaf, dumb, and impotent but at least it could not intrude on their fun and call them to judgment. It was an idol of their own making. It didn't demand anything from them. No judgment, no wrath, no holiness. It was deaf, dumb, impotent, but here's the good thing about it, and this is why people make their own religion. This is why God, people today make it up on their own. It wouldn't intrude on their fun or call them to judgment. Now, Here's a quote I've used for years, maybe even decades, and there's a fun little PS to this right now. Uh, for years, I've used this quote by Cindy Crawford. Um, I have a religion. I call it Cindy's religion. The 
the famous uh, supermodel, Cindy Crawford. And I've, I've used that thing for just years and years and years, which is just to show just kind of an example of the spirit of our age in, in our country and our culture today, that I make up my own religion. I call it Glenn's religion or Joanne's religion or Julio's religion. In her case, Cindy's religion. But you know, it's funny, I was in, digging into it just to make sure I had the quote right. This is a quote from earlier in her life. Do you know that now uh, she's a Presbyterian? <laughs> follower of Jesus, calls her home church Malibu Presbyterian. So Cindy has gone from just having a religion called Cindy's religion into saying, you know what, maybe I better do it God's way rather than making up my own way. We fall into sin when we do what is popular instead of what is right. Here's another thing we learn from this passage. We fall into sin when we do what is popular instead of what is right. The reason that the Israelites made a cow was because they were imitating the Egyptians. They wanted to be popular like the Egyptians. Uh, they wanted to be like the other nations. Aaron wanted to be popular with the people uh, that he was leading. In, in verse 1, uh, that chapter we've been looking at, chapter 30, Exodus 32, where, where it says, gathered around Aaron, it uses that phrase, gather. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's a little stronger than that. It should actually be crowded around him. It was a mob scene. And the mob was giving the orders. They said, come make us gods. Aaron, they crowded like a mob in on him. And, and it's and the, and the Hebrew, it's, uh, the verb is in the imperative. It was an order to him. Make, come right now and make us gods. Little g, plural gods with an S at the end. And little g, make us, make us a bunch of gods. Start with the golden calf and let, we'll move on from there. Aaron didn't pray about it. He didn't consult Israel's elders. He just did what he was told to do. Another thing we learned from this passage is we fall into sin when we make excuses instead of changes. You know, this last weekend, we had a tremendous men's event here on campus. Had 300 men at our Warrior Men's Conference. And boy, one of the speakers that I just loved was uh, Chris Ricks. Uh, here he is speaking uh, to the men uh, in the gym. The gym was just packed with a live streaming overflow room. It was just a, just, it was just a thrill to see 300 men worshiping, many men, dozens of men coming to commit their lives to Christ. It was just outstanding. And Chris uh, Ricks, who was a famous quarterback for Florida State, um, he had a quote that I, that I really liked. He said, boys make excuses, but men make changes. Boy, that was a challenge to me. Boys make excuses, but men, and I would say women, men and women, boys and girls make excuses, men and women, they make changes in their life. Um, soccer coach Pep Guardiola uh, Sala said in football, the worst things are excuses. Excuses mean you cannot grow or move forward. Washington Carver said, 99% of the failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses. And Jenny Craig said, a change in bad habits leads to a change in life. But here in this story, we have the ultimate or one of the ultimate excuses. I mean, Adam and Eve made excuses in the Garden of Eden. That maybe is the biggest 
excuse making of all time, but, but this has got to be in the top 10 of the Bible. Exodus 32, starting in verse 21, uh, Mo, uh, Moses says to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? What happened? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Okay, that's true. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. So he blames the people. Uh, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and surprise, 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 out came this calf. Just took the gold, tossed it into the fire and out comes this calf. Man, I just can't believe that happened. Um, and so uh, we, we fall into sin when we make excuses instead of saying, oh God, help me, help me to face this temptation. Help me to obey you. And then finally, we fall into sin when we forget what God has done for us and we go back to our old ways. We forget, we're forgetful about what, how God has come through for us in the past and when we're forgetful, then we go back to Egypt. We go back to our old ways. I mean, think about the nation of Israel. They had witnessed the plagues of Egypt, the 10 plagues. They had walked through the Red Sea. They had conquered their enemies through prayer. They had eaten manna in, in the wilderness. They had drunk water from, from a rock. They had seen God's lightning and fire and smoke on Mount Sinai, and yet they, they still forgot. They had seen all these great things, and yet they had forgotten. Just this past week, we hosted a leadership conference here on our campus. The speaker was Todd Bolsinger, who's just got a phenomenal book, by the way, called Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Unchartered Territory. I'd highly recommend it to you. He said the Israelites got bored with the miracles, so they wanted to go back to the familiar. And following Jesus, are we ever in danger of getting bored with the miracles? And we just want to go back to that which is familiar. The psalmist says in Psalm 106 at Horeb, that's another name for Mount Sinai, uh, they made a calf and worshiped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. Let's just hold it. Let's go back to that for just one second. That's the key. They forgot. And, and sometimes I forget, and we forget, um, the God who saved them, who's done great things in our lives. He had done great things in Egypt. Now, verse 22, miracles in the land of Ham, awesome deeds by the Red Seas. They forgot. And you know, as we're in the month of November and, and, and hopefully on the day of Thanksgiving, we think about things to be thankful for. But you know what I'd encourage you to do? Uh, what I want to do is just... Look back over the last year, maybe over the last two years. And yeah, they've been hard, but I bet you, if you spend some time, you can remember, you can remember awesome deeds, how God has come through for you. Maybe even to the degree you'd call it a miracle, but good things. Can, can we go back and remember this month of Thanksgiving? Uh, re remember uh, what God has done for us. 
Um, next Sunday, I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving in the wilderness. And, and can we remember, uh, and when we remember, we're less prone to fall into sin. But then finally, we are saved from our sin when we trust in Christ and Christ alone. You know, the Israelites' problem was that they couldn't keep the law. Couldn't keep it. And you know what? That's my problem, too. That's your problem. That's our problem. They needed a Savior who could do all the things for them that they couldn't do for themselves. And, and that's what you and I need, too, isn't it? We need a Savior. Uh, verse 30 the next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord, back up to Mount Sinai. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses is a picture of Jesus in 1400 BC, a picture of Jesus 14 centuries before it came. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. He basically is saying, let me be a substitute, uh, an atonement, a substitutionary atonement for their sin. But Moses couldn't do that, could he? He was a great man but he couldn't take the place of us for the atonement of our sin, for our forgiveness. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. We read about this book of life again and all through the Bible, but towards the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, verse 27, nothing impure will enter heaven. It's talking about heaven here. Nothing impure. If we have sin, we can't go to heaven. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. If we've, if we've broken God's law like the Israelites did, and we have broken each one of the Ten Commandments, if not literally, then in our minds and our thought life and the way we've treated people and our failure to love people, I have. Anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, nothing impure can go into heaven, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, wow, there's a couple of the most, most important questions you'll ever ask. Who is that lamb? Who's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Who is that lamb, and how do I get my name, your name, written in his book so that I can enter into heaven? Well, his name is Jesus. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't make up your own way to approach God. You've got to do it the way that He established. The way that please you can't you got to worship Him the way that pleases Him, not the way that pleases ourselves. He's the way, not a way. The truth, not a truth. The life, not a life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven. Nobody gets their name written in His book of life except through. Jesus. That's who this lamb is, who's got his book. How do you get your name written in his book of life? Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
right where you're, if you're driving your car, listening to this, watching on your computer, sitting in your living room, you could just say those words out loud. Jesus is Lord. Would you do that with me right now? Just say out loud with me. Let's say it together wherever you are. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Do you believe that? And do you confess it? Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And you know, you can receive Christ just as easy as that in, in, the, in the quietness of this moment, maybe even in privacy. Maybe you're sitting there by yourself. But you need to eventually take a step to go public with that. And so next Sunday, after each of our services uh, at the church, in the community terrace, outside, after each one of the services next Sunday, uh, November 21st, uh, after every one of the Sundays, after 8.30 service, 10 o'clock service, 11.30 service, we're doing baptism. You can just show up. Show up as you are. We've got a change of clothes for you. Or show up with a change of clothes. And you can proclaim publicly through baptism what you just did privately by proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Let's close. Let's close with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition so you will not grow weary and lose hearts.